Verily, we vivaciously viewed this video. We watched V for Vendetta. We are the film fellas. We watch movies you love, hate, or have never heard of, and then we talk about them. I'm Greg, and I love movies. I'm Nick, and masks are hot. I'm Caleb, and the first movie I can remember watching is Mary Poppins. I'm Robbie, and I'm very vindictive with this movie. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, we are the film fellows. This week we watched Caleb's pick, V for Vendetta. I'm going to turn it over to him. Caleb, go ahead. So today, in conjunction with uh, these wonderful times, uh, I chose a film that I had not seen. Uh, and as I watched that, I regretted the, the timing. But we watched V for Vendetta, <laughs> uh, a movie written by the, the Wachowskis, yep. uh, which becomes very obvious the more you watch it, yeah. directed by James McTeague and starring Hugo Weaving and Natalie Portman in the principal roles as V and Evie, respectively. Fellas, Based off the comic book written by yes. uh, Alan Moore, who, yep. with despite, he, he had such a bad time with Hollywood adapting his stuff that he refused credit on this. Yep. Mm. He was Thanks stealing his name a, from it. He's a cranky fucking wizard. I don't know if you've seen him. <laughs> that, that's just artists though right he did not like it. he's the writer the artist uh got credited with the creative mm. by credit in this one i see all right let's start with a one sentence summary i'm gonna keep it simple that this is just english zorro in a distant future or not so distant depending on how you feel uh greg go next anonymous apes count of monte cristo to free the masses from fascism Oh, mm. mm. there it was off the cuff. I for forgot, you. To write, <laughs> forgot to write this. <laughs> I wrote notes. Oh my God. <laughs> this is the first thing I wrote down. <clears throat> Stephen Fry was a gay guy. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark? <laughs> what? That was yours? No, that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> that is what the movie's about. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> the A plot. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, revenge revolved around rocky reasons results in wretched death. That actually deserves it off that. Of all of us. Yeah, if it had more V's. That's what I tried to do in our intro with the V's. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I was going to try to do that, but I knew I wanted to say Zorro, and so I didn't want to think of that many Z words. Originally, I had I, a bunch of stuff about I had to do the alliteration. <laughs> so, yeah. let, let's start with the plot of this thing. I was all thinking... Right that we go popcorn style. So like I'll start off and I'll be like, popcorn Robbie. And Robbie will pick up wherever. Popcorn. Yeah. You know, like in fourth grade when you're reading? No. <laughs> no. Oh, no one else did like popcorn reading in grade school? The teacher would just say, do you want to say like popcorn? Yeah. How do you want to do this? Uh, fellas. I think we can... Fellas will be the, the key term. Cool. Yeah, fellas, I like it. All right. So in a not so distant future, it's really unclear. Uh, a possibly young, the past. Possibly the past. Possibly the very past. unclear. <laughs> Evie starts on a, on a morning to visit the, her boss, Dietrich. Boss? I don't know. Stephen Fry, where she is in, where she was, she's quartered by a couple of fingermen, a.k.a. just, you know, rubious, rugged 
outlaws and but they're in-laws they're like the the policemen of the group but they're also very nefarious anyway she's saved by the terrorist known as v who has prepared a very long v starting speech for her uh and is apparently has this unbeatable plan fellows i'm done talking Oh, yeah, he went so literal with it. <laughs> so this world takes place in a uh, near-fascist regime. Um, the Fingermen are basically the secret police that are uh, enforcing a curfew that is for your own good, as they say. And they are going to attack Evie, possibly uh, sexually assault her. And then V swoops down in his Guy Fox mask. Maybe we should go back. The... Uh, <laughs> That originally opens with the story of Guy Fox and his attempts to blow up Parliament, and the uh, the first line of the poem: "Remember, remember the fifth of November, gunpowder treason plot." I see no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Apparently, that's about um, the Catholics trying to blow up the Protestant Parliament and leadership. Yeah. So yep. V comes down, frees Evie. She runs away. She works for the the TV station, British uh, Television Network, or what's that? The BTN, yes. The BTN, yeah. <laughs> Where there is a straight fucking Sean Hannity, Alex right Jones, wing, Alex one Jones one. yeah, right wing fear mongering uh, dude screaming about how everything is bad and uh, mm-hmm. he's the best. England and all that prevails. Business. England prevails, fellas. After V goes in and swoops in and saves Evie, he brings her onto a roof. And they blow up the old Bailey. Yeah. What? With fireworks. And everyone watched it while he played classical music, which is the beginning of the rebellion. <gasps> and they go back to his place. Uh, and Natalie Portman wakes up and he makes her eggs <laughs> in the basket. And then while this is happening, we find out there's bad people in charge of the government. And they're all conspiring in a little room with a big head on the screen, sort of like Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> So you have a gigantic Adolf Hitler XB up on the screen who is telling his people to tell him exactly why on earth did this building blow up and why didn't we already kill the people responsible? Uh, and also to remind them how important it is they have a lock, a lock in grasp on all the information coming out of this. So he decides, we'll this. tell them, yep, we need to spin this and we need to make it so that uh, everybody thinks we did it intentionally. So all of a sudden, all the newspapers and all the TV stations say how great it was and it was going to be a cool thing. But everybody in the know and most of the people like on the ground know this probably wasn't planned. But people are so desensitized to this level of lying that the people at the TV station, which is the next scene we go to, don't even really care. It's just they're used to getting the information. And there's a good quote there, which is, it's not our job to, you know, it's not our job to lie about the news. That's the government's job. We just need to tell what it is. So it's that sort of depositioning. And as we'll go into later, that's a big thing about how they're separating themselves from the horrible things that they're doing because that's just how this government works. So they start all, uh, they have all this stuff going on. You find out that Evie is indeed a worker at the TV station and she brings in all these boxes. Uh, the boxes are filled with Guy Fox masks and costumes and that is when uh, V comes in and starts his plan, which is to take over the news network and tell them what really happened. And in so doing, trap everything up top so that he can try and make his escape. And once again, 
implicate the government in lying because he knows that they're going to try and kill the people he has set up to look like him. So that once this is where he say, makes them hey, play their sweet mini disc. Oh yeah, he, yeah, nice and because he, he ducked out. He's like, <laughs> he brings in his sweet mini disc uh, technology of the future. Yeah, We're using it's just like the Running Man, <laughs> <laughs> fellas. Okay, uh, so V speaks to the people on his sweet mini disc that uh, that pretty much what the people already know or have a feeling of that the government is corrupt and they should all get together have a powwow on this date the 5th of November a year from now uh, but the police who are already trying to track down Evie from the night before for breaking curfew and for perhaps conspiring with V are already at the television station to find Evie where they find themselves in a moment that is you know not too unfamiliar uh, where they're trying to track down V, but V is already one step ahead, and as usual, at least one step, if not three, from anyone else. And he has dressed everyone else like him, and he quickly escapes, if it not for Twer, uh, one of the inspectors, who uh, catches him off guard. But uh, Evie catches him, catching V off guard, and now Evie's in cahoots. And there's viable proof. Whereas the movie takes time to be a fan of the opera, where uh, if the actual fan of the opera were watching this, he would be crying as how well it's going for him. Um, and uh, and V says that, like, you know, the, the police know that you're working with me, so you have to stay here. And Evie's like, sure. Uh, so, you know, they chill and they listen to music and they watch The Count of Monte Cristo and uh, we get some some insight into the, the charmer that V is. Uh, and then we, while this is going on, we intercut with the inspectors who are trying to track him down. Fellas. And while this is happening, uh, V is secretly carrying out his revenge plot or his vendetta, as it were. Ooh. <laughs> uh, murdering people that were part of his past that is quite mysterious. And one of these uh, situations involves this priest, Bishop guy, who Evie says to V, uh, if I can help in any way, let me know. And he's like, well, it just so happens I need your help on this one. And uh, she gets sent to this bishop dressed up like a little girl, because uh, apparently this bishop likes me young. Gross. And uh, she's supposed to leave the window unlocked so that V can sneak in and murder him. And she's like, listen to me carefully. He's coming to kill you. You got to get out. He's like, oh, I like this game. Tell me more. Gross. And then V comes in, straight murders this motherfucker. Gross. And, uh, <laughs> and Evie's like, peace, I got to get out of here. And then she runs and goes to her boss's house, who she was trying to see in the first part of the movie, at the very beginning. She knocks on the door and he opens it up. And he's like, quick, you got to hide me. And fellas. So then she goes into Dietrich's house. Stephen Fry. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen Fry, the gay guy. <clears throat> he takes Spoilers. her to the back room. Turns out he has a similar thing to V, where he has a bunch of contraband stuff that's not legal in that society. Um, some amazing paintings. Some paintings are like um, the Obama, what are they? What was it Hope? God Save the Queen. Yeah, but it was like God Save the Queen, and it was their dictator, but like dressed yeah, as the woman. High Chancellor. Yes. Dressed up as the queen. And then she looks over. Oh, Stephen Fry's character likes men. That's not really important. But anyway. 
It is to you. It is. I feel like you're skipping over the copy of the Quran, also. Yeah, I was going to get the Quran because that—that's like painting, men, Quran. <clears throat> In this context, um, he has a Quran, and she's like, "Are you Muslim, or is this like your religion?" And he goes, "No, but like you don't have to be that religion to realize the beauty of it." And it's like, "Whoa!" He's like, "V." Things He's like, "I picture. read it for the pictures." Anyway, <laughs> so there's a whole subplot going on about people trying to find V and what V's past is. And while that happens, uh, Natalie Portman is at Dietrich's house and they come and crash in there because they found her. They kill or take away Dietrich. She hides Let's under the him. bed, which is exactly what happened when she was younger with her parents. Fellas. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, he, gets, he gets swept away and... Again, at this, at this part, this is where I kind of might be mixing up the, the scenes. But I believe this is when Evie is tossed into the, this dark, like, hole, like a POW camp, basically. And yeah, Evie tries up. to escape, and she jumps out the window, and she runs into this dude who black bags her, and she gets waking up in this interrogation room. Yep, yep. So she wakes up in an interrogation room, POW style. And uh, it is, you, you start to see that she's going through this, um, this interrogation torture. And she's staying resolute. She's not going to give up B because, you know, in, in her heart, she, no, she feels that he's right. And so she fights against it. And while she's in this cell, she finds this letter uh, through, through the wall, this letter that tells her, like, this story of her neighbor. And her neighbor was an actress. And she was, uh, she fell in love with another woman and she was truly happy, but because this is kind of like a, a XP of sort of what happened with the Nazis in World War II against homosexuality, she was taken to this uh, concentration camp, basically. She was taken away and put into this position where she is having all these horrible things done to her. And she feels a connection with this person. And that's the only connection she has while she's being tortured. During this, uh, she, she gets freed. She, she gets to leave. And when she leaves, she basically breaks out and she sees that the security guard that's like in the corner is fake. And she walks into the, to the main room and there's V. And basically she finds out that this is all, this was all set up. <gasps> this was fake. V did this to her. <gasps> so she gets told that, yes, it was him. Um, and so she's like, well, you know, it's not good for me to hold on to this if you made it. And he's get, she's giving back him the letter thinking that it was fake. And he says that, no, actually it's not. And he shows her a shrine that he made to this actress who apparently was the actress who was with him in that concentration camp thing where he lived, where he was kept. And so it was a real letter. And so V thought that he should make it so that she lived through what he did to truly make her free. Tell us. Okay. So by this point, it's almost November. It's been almost a year. Uh, we're going to just go back to the, the inspectors who are on the, hot on the trail of V. We've taken a whole year and have found out that, yes, V was part of that concentration camp, and he's rounding up all the people from his past. And uh, one of the inspectors is like, yes, I had a great feeling. <sighs> he's already won. I know what's going to happen. And his inspector buddy is like, you know what's going to so you know happen? He's like, no, I just had a feeling I know what's going to happen. He's already won. And so... V lets Evie go now that Evie is free and unafraid to die, but requests that uh, Evie come back once more uh, before the 5th of November. 
so she comes back directly on November 5th, which is, I mean, a little late, but whatever. Uh, and in, during this time, V has made a deal with the second in command to the Supreme Chancellor to overthrow the Supreme Chancellor because the second in command knows that in the end, when you are uh, oppressing people who are bound to overthrow the government, it's got to be one of the two. So the second in command figures like if he can overthrow the Supreme Chancellor, he'll live and at least be able to take some, some power for himself and perhaps this new regime. So second in command is in cahoots with V and they uh, together they kill the Supreme Chancellor. And V uh, then kills everyone else in the whole room in a scene that is kind of cool and kind of dumb at the same time. Uh, but V is mortally wounded himself uh, and is unable to go to his own party that he invited in the entirety of the country to. He says to Evie, like, look, I've set up this train with a giant bomb and you have to flip the switch to send the train all the way to the parliament building to blow it up because you're one of the people. And so Evie's like, okay. So V goes and dies and he comes back and he's like, all right, I'm sorry. And he dies. Spoilers ahead, people. <laughs> uh, yeah, fellas. So yeah, Evie is about to pull the handle to start the train to go blow up Parliament because, as V says, it was not his revolution to start. It was the people's revolution, so he couldn't be the one to do it. The cop, Finch, uh, is like, freeze, uh, don't do this. And he's like, we got to do this because this is what we need to fight the government and the regime and to wake the people up. And she convinces him that uh, this is what needs to happen. And then before all this had happened, V mails out a bunch of Guy Fox masks and black robes to everyone in the country. And it's the 5th of November. Everyone's wearing them and walking along. And um, they all storm parliament. And there's this uh, really intense scene where there's the military police and they've got their guns on them. And they're like, what do we do? Do we fire all them or do we let them pass? And they can't get any word from the government. They got no word from their higher ups. And so right as everyone's about to get shot, they're like, stand down, stand down, let them pass. Mm -hmm. So the group converged on parliament. And then the 1812 overture starts. And he's <laughs> 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 like, it's time. And she pulls the lever and the train goes and she and Finch go up onto the roof to watch as musical cue, the train hits parliament and it starts exploding and there's fireworks and everyone takes off their masks. It's like everyone is woken up and like released from this. That's about where we are. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yes. 1812 overture by William Tell. Chicago. William Tell. Was it? Chikovsky? But they also did the credit, uh, the, the subtitles credited Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Tchaikovsky. All right, so now that we've got the plot, let's uh, let's talk just a couple of uh, finer details. Well, let's go around and say, uh, uh, like, what was your favorite part of the, of the film before we talk about like themes? Because I know Robbie wants to get into themes and stuff. I gotta say, uh, action sequences in uh, in this film, even though this is not really a film about action sequences, but. Being from the Wachowskis, you might expect some bombastic action sequences. Uh, and there were some good ones, some pretty interesting stuff, a lot of cool knife work and such. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, there's this one scene where the two inspectors are talking to each other. They're talking about like a trail of bodies that V has left behind. And one inspector says to the other, uh, and I had subtitles on, so I was able to catch this in its entirety. 
I wrote it down. <laughs> he says, where, where is it? Oh, it's my emo the musical notes. That's why. <laughs> he says, okay. And Percy gives his Beretta a blowjob. Because he's talking about Percy like, committing suicide. Blew his brains out, yeah. It's like, as a cop describing suicide, that is the most ridiculous way I can think of. And, casual and yeah right <laughs> it was just the the casual like all right so person gives his brother a blowjob and, and then then this person dies as well that, that was just i paused the movie <laughs> <laughs> the other guy didn't even flinch i don't know that was my favorite part this nice. this movie about <laughs> society and stuff and no that was my favorite part yeah uh I, my favorite part's probably john hurt dude like most of the time you see him one shot just as this huge overlord on this giant screen and oh, his as performance is just, yeah. yeah, it's just fantastic. And then like at the end when he gets captured and he's like crying and begging for his life, like such the, just the dynamic change. Mm-hmm. Um, so good. Apparently in the, in the, uh, the parody show that Stephen Fry puts on, uh, John Hurt is playing both of the fake chancellors also. <gasps> really? So that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> That is good. But yeah, I thought he was just great because he's just a great actor. <laughs> when the Supreme Chancellor is up on the, the big screen talking to like the council, uh, yeah. like his pupils are like dilated to the extreme. Yeah. Like, there is like a sliver of iris and it is just pupils. And so like uh, that was the moment when my roommate came in the room and I was watching in the living room. And he was like, is that guy bending on crack? <laughs> that guy's on something and then he just went into his room that guy's on rage yeah he's high on power <laughs> Nick what was your favorite part um, my favorite part was just the storyline of the little girl with the glasses mm. and how like mm-hmm. she's like the first one to be super influenced by V like she's, she's the first one you see who does like activism where she like goes out with um, the spray paint can sprays, paints a V on the poster like he did with his knife in the opening scene and um, just how excited she was for revolution. It definitely shows like how like the younger generation are really into like, um, can be influenced more, but also mm-hmm. they're the first ones to take action nowadays. Yeah, and then it. she was shot, but then she was alive. And I'm cons- I don't know what happened there. She yeah. was shot in the Finches. Finch was like, I can guess what's going to happen. And that was part of his uh, idea of what was going to happen. No, that no, was... I was saying this, it's like I think this is going to set off the riot, basically, but that's not what actually happened. That, that clears up a lot of things for me. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. How are all these people alive in the end? Yeah, I wonder. Uh, I, a lot of the stuff at the end is also like metaphorical, alive. Mm. Lots of symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> Abby, what was your favorite part? Yeah, for my favorite part is probably because I'm so morbid uh, one of my favorite parts is the scene where he was or he had already killed um the coroner because i thought it was a very touching scene mm. between him and her of mm. what is what is forgiveness and we'll we'll get into that when we start going over themes but i really like the writing of that scene wachowski's did a or wachowski's did a great job um it was very well done. The dialogue seemed very natural and fitting, as well as carrying some of the greatest weight, I think, of the plot itself. 
because it ties so deeply into the central themes with these with one of the few rounded characters that V kills. Because I mean, some of them were just so cartoonishly evil by that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was nice to have at least some sort of like, oh, this this could be an actual person. Yeah, I really like that scene too. And like that shot where he's just in the corner and you don't see him for a second, but she hears him. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really good creepy shot. I liked it a lot. Yeah, where like the light like comes up and slowly mm-hmm. reveals him. And then, yeah, that was rad. But yeah, it was good. Like she had uh, her diary where she's like, uh, she honestly believed she was helping people. She wasn't just a monster creating biological weapons. Mm-hmm. But she didn't have a weird phrase in that where she was saying, these people would act so much better if they knew their um, impact on humanity. And that was like, yeah. that sort of a psychopathic mm-hmm. way to think of like people as like, they're uninformed on what we're doing so that they're bad. But yeah, I mean, like, we got to be okay with her getting killed because, you know, she's not, she's not a good people, but she's not cartoonishly evil like Rafi was saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's, she's an actual person that's an XP because obviously she's an XP of like the doctors that would work at the concentration camps. Because they were doctors that, you know, they might have had good reasons in their heads, but that doesn't excuse or condone the actions they committed. So it was, yeah, it's kind of, it's more of a rounded thing because we do need to think to ourselves, okay, it's okay to kill her. Like the good guy can kill this person without it causing dissonance, but also give her enough, you know, gray morality in there where where you're like, oh, this actually is impactful. Whereas, like, killing the pedophile priest, it's like, well, of course you're going to kill a pedophile priest. He's a pedophile priest. Yeah, Whereas, yeah right. Like, this this is good fun. Yeah. But, this, but I mean, that is not like, really why yeah. he was dying. Yeah. Yeah, but, but then does it also justify the, like, Alex Jones sort of guy? It does. I, I remember that he was, like, a, one of the head guards or, like, the, the chief of staff there. But besides, like, just doing the job, Tech, I, you never saw him like beat anyone there or anything. He was just sort of like the staff guy. But then later, well, all he does is he's just a radical right sort of dude who... Well, he was complicit in the creation of the virus and profited from them creating the cure and holding on to it until the chancellor took power. <gasps> this is anti-capitalist. <laughs> it kind of is. Uh-oh. I was reading Alan Moore was pissed because he wanted it to be a anarchy versus fascism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what his, his graphic novel is about. And he said that this is just uh, a Bush era story, which it is. It's kind of like watered down and they're too afraid to upset it in their own country. I mean, there's literal Bush protest footage in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're talking about the American what's war. Happening. Yeah. Let's talk about themes then. Robbie, I know you're bursting at the seams to talk about this. You you want to choose choose one, and then we'll see if how well we roll with it. If we want to do more, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> All right. So one of the themes um, that I think is really important and not as obvious is just the theme of uh, personal vengeance and ends justifying the means within a smaller sector. <clears throat> so not only you know, do we see, see from the beginning, like, what is his plan? What is his vendetta? But also we see as he continues to interact with Evie, as he continues to see a breath of fresh air, you know, outside of his constant cycle of vengeance, watching Count of Monte Cristo, 
doing all these things that have to do with like, this is my one thing in life, but all this stuff going on in life, it focuses in on the fact that he has to reconcile his personal vengeance with the fact that, you know, is it justified? And he sees what through Evie, not only what he does to Evie, which is an important part of his, his growth, because he recognizes the pain, the problems he's causing. But when you combine that with what is said during my favorite scene, when he's, when he had already killed uh, the coroner, she's like, you know, I really thought what I was doing was right. And he's like, I'm not going, I'm not, I haven't killed you for what you hope to do. I've killed you for what you've done. And that is important because it's the end does not justify the means. He says that's the reason he's killing her. It doesn't matter how much she wanted things to improve because what he, she did was unforgivable. In the exact same time, he has locked up and tortured Evie. And what he wanted to do, he wanted to set her free. He wanted to give her what he had so that she could be free. Because you, and it works. In the end, he gets what he wants. But was it justified? No. Mm-hmm. What he did to her was not only not justified, but made him just as complicit as those that had been done to him because he had reenacted this on somebody else. It's like the cycle of abuse. Mm. Yes, he was abused. Yes, this thing's happened to him, but does it justify him abusing another? No. And that's an important theme that comes up again and again. And it's why it's very important, I think, and it's very fitting that he does die at the end. And before he dies, he does not enact his plan of vengeance. He leaves it in her hands because she is outside the cycle of his personal, personal vendetta because it is not for him to impose this on others because that's what happened to him. And that whole cycle of vengeance comes up several times in small bouts throughout the story with different characters. And I just, uh, I love that. That's my favorite theme of the story because I think it's very well done. Yeah. I feel like you could make a pretty good argument that that's the central theme. Um, in addition to all the others about you know, government and society and, mm-hmm. and the way we live. But mm-hmm. Uh, what was that you were saying? Like when he dies, he leaves it to her, right? Because like yeah. Yeah. the movement the of the people. Yeah. Like I can, I can see where you're coming from, but at the time I was thinking like, he knows that she is so attached to him and his ideals anyway, that like his plan fully revolves on her doing like pulling the lever to, to let the train run through. Uh, anyway, and I don't think that he would have left that like hole in his plan if he didn't already know. That that's very fair, and i I do have I do think that might have been a bit of a bit of uh, definitely a point. In his, like he, you're right. He probably knew that she was going to pull that pull mm-hmm. that lever regardless, which does kind of cheapen out a little bit because, in my opinion if it wasn't for the rest of the themes of how the story was going, it would have been almost more appropriate for her not to pull the lever. Um, I think that was the test though, is he says, I'd like to see you once more before the fifth. And had she come back, right, he that. knew that the people are ready for this, you know? Mm-hmm. So he might that. not have done it. Mm. Nick? I do agree with most of those points. I don't disagree with anything. Um, actually, uh, <laughs> But the theme I really got out of this movie was sort of like upsetting, which was um, how you have to have violence in order to uh, start a revolution. Mm. Because the only Mm -hmm. reason anyone followed him at all was because he did these like extremely destructive acts 
and then publicized that he did them in order to show the system's bad because of how they responded to them. Like nothing. If if he just like got everyone together and it's like march on parliament like that, they probably would have just like it, it wouldn't have done necessarily the same thing. But the well, only I'm trying to remember because they covered up all the deaths of the party members, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, none of the so none of the people really saw the violence so much as just his message of revolution. I think. But he um, destroyed the old Bailey, and then he That's also true. by killing all the parliament members he forced them to start reacting and like putting more harsh restrictions on people, putting more, um, more intensity on the people who are supposed to be the protectors, the police and the detectives and stuff, which in turn made them over like overreact, which with, and Finch is like, what would happen? Mm-hmm. Is there so tense thinking about V that they're just going to overreact on like someone who's like, not that just had a little bit of the ideology. Yeah. I think that also like, they do a pretty good job of implying that the people don't really buy the lies that they're being fed. You know, they want to believe it, but Evie knowing when the news anchor is lying about yeah. uh, Prothero and uh, all, and I believe there's a scene where like a person in the bar is like, you know, hear this shit. <laughs> yeah. And so I think I, it's I just think... become such an everyday thing that it's, you don't think about it, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, they're part of the news. They know when the story is fabricated. Oh, sure. So, like, she yeah. had a big insight on it, but the everyday citizen looking at it. Like, yeah, like I think they just put up power. with it, which is why I think when Stephen Fry did his, his, uh, his special show, people really resonated. They're like, yeah, we don't like this fascist government either, but what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And it was really just a call to revolution. Mm-hmm. So I think but, that revolution can be started with art and words and, you know, satire. And I think that's what uh, Stephen Fry's character was about. Yeah. But also with Stephen Fry's character, Dietrich um, being taken away, that means the show would just have been canceled out of nowhere. People start mm-hmm. asking questions, which again is part of the overreaction of the government. Yeah. And then, but it would further emphasize what V already put in place by the destruction of the old Bailey. Not saying well, that it can't happen. And it definitely hasn't in history overall, but just in this movie, yeah. that's why I took out of it, most of all. That's fair. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I think it was important at the end of the film, because there was that scene where, now again, it's been, it's been months since there's been any, any action or interaction. The only violence that they've actually seen, per se, would be the old Bailey blowing up a year prior. Mm-hmm. However, with, with people dressing up in the Guy Fawkes costumes and getting ready and they're marching forward toward the guns in something very similar to like the pictures you would have seen of like Vietnam protests where, you know, the flower into the gun, that type of thing. They approach them. It's a very important thing to me, I think, that they did that before anything's been blown up. They haven't gotten any orders in their ears of what to do. They choose not to shoot them and let them pile through because that is peaceful. On both sides, it's peaceful. It's being peaceful protesting from from both sides. Mm -hmm. If anything, as much as it's a lovely, you know, a lovely resolution to the film with fireworks and explosions, it also would have been better if that hadn't been such fanfare because they had succeeded at that point. They had done something that everything else in their society would have told them not to do. It would have been very similar to like when Gandhi did his marches in India for the salt march. 
and that type of thing where they they were doing that. And it would be a nice, it's a nice contrast between the violence because remember in the beginning, V thought the only way to do anything was with violence. But mm-hmm. by the end, he had the, he had, he had doubt. He had question come up because of Evie. Evie did end up pulling the lever, but I would say just because in the world that they were in, the violence would be more justified than if it was a more real life equivalent. If it was a more one-for-one, it would be more ambiguous. Here, we have a cartoonishly evil Nazi government, along with everything else, along with every character we've seen part of the government, with the exception of Finch, is either a murderer, a rapist, or just profiteering from death. So... It, it, it doesn't it doesn't draw us out as viewers, but um, I do agree that it's it muddles the message a bit. But I agree. But I, I would agree with what Greg said in that it's even within the context of the show, it does show that peaceful movements can help. Because again, the kid, you know, at the end when they pull their mask off, the kid isn't dead. Neither is you yeah. know the, those characters. What this worst case scenario Finch had come up with in his head did not occur, which I think is important. Mm. Finch's whole thing of his worst case uh-huh. scenario wasn't due to um, protest at all. It yeah. was due to the the government ordering anyone in a V costume to be either uh, in the Guy Fox costume to be either like followed or killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. Well, I think it goes back to the symbolic nature of it. Is he's not blowing up the government building, Parliament? while there's anyone in it, it's to take down the symbol of it. The same with the old Bailey. And that's what the, the people needed to see. And I, I love that scene at the end where the explosions are going off and there's fireworks and everyone takes off their mask and like looks. It's just such a beautiful like, oh shit, our eyes are open. We are free. We're ready to do this. Which is why some of the people who were dead, like the actress or uh, Stephen Fry's character, are in that scene because it's just we've gotten rid of this old regime we've gotten rid of this negativity we can move forward and we can like rise up that was, yeah, that was a cool shot <laughs> sorry nick what were you saying no you can go oh I just, I like i really like that, that shot when they're all taking off their mask and like do you see the wave go back okay. well for me that was like one of three scenes that actually showed racial diversity in the whole show. there was in the prison there was one black guy in line another one was um the gay black guy in bed uh-huh uh, mm-hmm. When they got when they were telling the story of the actress, yeah, the old show, uh, the old actress thing. Anyway, and then finally, when they take the mask off, most of the left side is African American, mm. and like um, uh, a couple Indian, right? Yeah, yeah. They have a big Middle Eastern population and in India in the UK. Yep. And they were all shown on the left side, and a little bit mixed in the middle, but then all the right was all like white still. Which yeah. I don't know if that was like on purpose or just sort of like all the extras had pile in. Probably, I'm going to chalk that up to this movie is very much a product of its time, you know. Kind of tangent though, but a scene near then that I really liked with the symbolism is that throughout the entire story, we don't see V's face. It's not important that we see V's face because V is not, as far as the context of the overstory, V is really important. He's a spark of the revolution, he's a symbol, and who, what he actually looks like isn't important. But the personal vendetta part, you know, even with all those things going on, he doesn't really, he doesn't remove it. We see like a very silhouetted half scene of when he's in the fire. That's close as we get. But in the end, when Evie is basically kissing him goodbye and is giving him that, that kiss of resolution, she does not take off his mask and kiss him. She kisses the mask. And I think that's an important 
an important symbol of what's going on because it's symbolic of her embracing the revolutionary ideas he has, not necessarily him in a symbolic sense. Yeah. Well, like she says earlier when she's like, I don't know who you are. And she goes to take off the mask. He's like, the person underneath is not who I am. Yep. You know, as much as but, I'm not bones or muscles or anything, I am who I am. I really wanted there to be like a second mask under his first mask. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So two criticisms in the movie. One mm-hmm. criticism, he didn't have a mask over a second mask. And then two, uh, <laughs> uh, when he, when Evie's pulling the lever to send the, the train out, of the, mm-hmm. they made it a point that it's an underground train. So I was just hoping for like that British voice to come on the intercom and be like, mind the gap. Mind the gap. <laughs> I was waiting for that, but it never came. So having seen this movie, uh, I knew to look for this, but when Evie is escaping from Stephen Fry's house, and she gets grabbed by the dude, his, his eyes are like the only thing you see, and it's all red because yeah. it's, it's V, uh, mm-hmm. and it's his burned face, and it's like, oh, good setup. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> My- also, like the, the dual scenes where uh, the first time he, she wakes up in V's house, and he's like, oh, bonjour, mademoiselle, and makes the eggy bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Stephen Fry's house, same greeting, same breakfast, yeah. sans the butter, because he didn't steal the butter. But Mm-hmm. The scene where uh, her mom gets taken, the black bagged, and she's hiding under the thing. Her face gets slammed down, and the same thing happens with Stephen Fry. Like it's yeah, I was like, man, Stephen Fry is her mom, <laughs> and she covered <laughs> yeah, her mouth that, that time. She yeah. learned her lesson. She did. My, I have one gripe with this movie. <clears throat> the scene where he takes, where he has like all the guys shoot him. Mm-hmm. Now he was dead. I don't care how strong <laughs> he, he had, like a medieval. <laughs> Uh, medieval chess piece from his armor that he was fencing. If a bullet got through that, which it definitely would with the caliber they're using, um, it would act like a hollow point and splinter mm. when it went through and do way more damage. So if he was going to live, that that was not the right option. Hollywood. It's a movie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's one of those, it's a movie. And you it would look like a shotgun like through him because it hits that and it goes through, but it flattens it a little bit. So it's more like a quarter size thing going through your body. That would have been rad. Mm-hmm. Can I talk a little bit about the practical effects in this movie? Yes. So uh, I don't know if you guys watched the credits at all, but uh, there was a whole team who did the miniature work. The parliament, the old Bailey and uh, some of the other stuff were models that they made and blew up. It's not CGI, which is why oh, it looks like, uh, super like cool. Independence Day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's rad. It looks super good. Um, when at the end, when he's fighting all those dudes in the underground uh, with the knives, and there's just the knife hits are dope because you can see him like swing across here, and you'll see out of the the chest thing the blood spray out, like the slow mm-hmm. motion, super cool. Uh, it's not like necessarily from the wound, but it's like it's close enough, and the right. blood hits are cool, and it's all slow motion. It doesn't look shitty like CGI, mm-hmm. like uh, three hundred. Yeah. Like practical effects make things look way better. I understand CG to enhance. That's fine, but don't just full replace this movie. It made it look really good. And just, yeah, like the the parliament blowing up looked so good because it was a, mm-hmm. a model, and they got two different setups and do close things. And like the the debris looked good. It didn't just look like randomly generated, you know. And like the physics worked and everything. It's just. Mm-hmm. I like practical effects, and this movie did a good job. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice. They they looked good, but I, uh, never took me out. Exactly. 
I got taken out a little bit with the blood. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was CGI. And I are saying it's not. It was so red at yeah. points when there was no Pretty lighting red. in order to make it red. Because, like, yeah, again, that's the final... The, it's the heightened realism thing of that fight where everything's in slow motion. There's the mm-hmm. the trails following the blades. Yeah. Bullet I don't time know why. Why would blades. they do the... Just throw, throw the knife. The trails are distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Because people are watching them, and then they get, you know, killed. But it takes so long. It's just... <laughs> just twirling very slowly, like a slow pendulum. <laughs> oh, me? <laughs> Nick, Nick was miming for everyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It felt to me like, you know, a 2005 audience was expecting some Matrixy stuff. Yeah. And so they're like, yeah. this guy just has knives, so heck, it will do knife trails. Yeah, it was interesting that the director was uh, like the first assistant director for a lot of Wachowski movies um, mm-hmm. before. This is the first movie he directed. Pretty good. Pretty good job. Really? But, yep. but that, that brings me to pretty much the last point that I had a note on. That This mm-hmm. is very important to me as I was thinking. Who would win in a fight between V and Zorro? Uh, I think V has more supernatural abilities yep you know he's got that slow-mo he's got he's, uh he's got slow-mo he's impervious for. you know to bullets to and bullets. stuff like nick said mm. <laughs> so zoro's plot armor is not strong enough it's a good I question would, i mean but, plot armor can be pretty sturdy mm-hmm. i think it's more like amigo montoya versus mm. v because that guy oh, was sure. like stabbed for a long time during the mm-hmm. bride but, I mean, that also introduces another weakness because Inigo got hit by a, a thrown knife, which is V's whole thing. Mm. He's not prepared to block a, a thrown knife. I feel like Zoro is more accustomed to dodging bullets than Inigo would be. I, it would be a cool scene, a yeah. 1v1v1. <laughs> if I were to remake this movie, that's what I would do. Antonio Banderas would come in and be like, you're stealing my stick. And they, they would... He would challenge him to an Agni Kai. There you go. That's Avatar reference. That was movie remake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna remake it. None of the none of the commentary, just full on action. Yeah, just an hour and a half of fight scene. And Manny Atkinson <laughs> would sing a song over V's dead corpse. Good. So based yeah. on what you have uh, available to you, so Nick will be Zoro. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Robbie will be the because I'm brown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can get it. I'm ugly. I'll wear a mask. <laughs> so we, got a, mask. we got to light Robbie on fire just for a little bit. It's for the art. <laughs> <laughs> More like uh, the guy from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on Nick November fifth, some uh, in in uh, England. They call that uh, bonfire night, and you you have a, a bonfire, and you burn effigies of Guy Fox, and you light off fireworks and stuff. Mm, what else we want to talk about, fellas? I thought the movie was a little long. Yeah, to, to be honest, like I felt like we were at the climax around the time that Evie like got released from V's fake camp. Mm. Like, I was like, oh, man, we're wrapping things up. But there was still, like, an hour left. And that was, like, and the hour honestly, and five minute because I paused it there. And I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh. And, like, no. honestly, I don't, can't quite remember what happens in that hour. 
uh, a until, lot of police work. Yeah. There is that uh, scene Rob, where I have a question for you. Yeah. When you were doing the plot summary, you said that when she found the story of the actress, it was from her neighbor in a cell next door. I always thought of it as she was in that cell before her. And that's why it was in that hole. It was interesting that we had interpreted it differently. I had interpreted it the way Robbie did. Uh, yeah, I think she was in that door. Since I mean, they I showed it Nick twice. Knows. <laughs> Because there never showed any, like, light from that. And uh, there's definitely a window yeah. in the cell. So I don't think there was any, like, that had to be just, like, a carved-in hole for her. Yeah. It was a rat hole, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I just thought it was passed to her from, like, her neighbor or something. Yeah. Now, neither of us are wrong. I'm just, it was interesting that you had interpreted differently. It makes sense, though, because uh, it first seems like she's getting it in segments. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That, that's what sort of like reinforced that for me. Oh, see, I thought she was spacing it out because she's like, I'm going to be here forever. I need something to keep me going. Could be either way. I could see it the way that you saw it. It, it does. It also makes sense. Um, for me, actually, I think because it did kind of shift it in my view because thinking of it, thinking of it as it being in the cell would have changed, I think, it a bit for me just because from a thought process of if you're, you know, in a, if you're in a POW camp or that type of thing and you're the solidarity with other people, some sort of socialization, no matter how slight can help keep you sane. And so that's why I thought one of the reasons why she was being so resolute was she'd have that, that mental thing of like, there's someone else who's here with me. I'm not alone Mm -hmm. because isolate pure isolation like that is much, much harder on a person than having it with different people. So if she was in like pure isolation, you know, on, you know, that, that changed it only slightly, but just the much as I would think in that, as I was actively watching it, I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, so is she going to like, is she going to do a change while she's mentally snapping? Is she going to somehow escape because her neighbor's going to escape? So it would have just changed the watching situation for me just a little bit if I had read it a different way. But, Interesting. Yes, yeah. my thought process is yes. Yeah, she was completely alone, and that was part of the torture was the isolation. Oh, well, mm. yeah, I can see that. But no, I, yeah, I definitely read it as her getting past it from a neighbor. Wasn't the note like written in a way that it was like from a, a cell neighbor though? See, I interpreted it as she was just right. She knew she was going to die. Which is why at the end, when you see at the end at the end of the, the writing, mm-hmm. when you see that she's like all fucked up. She's got her sores and everything. I think she was like, I need to just tell my story and I need to give hope to whoever else reads this. So I think it was written in one go, my interpretation and just hidden away for the next person just to like, keep going. Remember, I love you. You can, you can get through this. One of the big problems I had was I figured out that it was on V's like whole set. The second she was grabbed. Cause first of all, it was Victor Hugo or Vic, Hugo's voice. Hugo weaving, yeah, yeah. And you could see his, his Victor eyes. Hugo weaving. That was there was like known. no. I'm just like oh, she's being tortured by him. Yeah, and it's like a test. Like uh, there's all these scenes where they're like, "Will you give up now? Will you give up?" And like it's halfway through the movie. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just some messed up stuff going on. Yeah, despite Hugo weaving's changing his voice uh, as well as he could a couple times, mm-hmm. it was clearly Hugo weaving. Yeah. You ain't disguising that boy. Look, man, if you hadn't already been Agent Smith, maybe we would uh, not yeah. recognize that voice. But <laughs> <laughs> I know Elrond when I hear him. Exactly. 
he strikes me as one of those uh, actors who has also been on the stage. I don't know this. I haven't like looked into this any, but you all know, like as you get further and further into the minutia of training for, for acting, you be able to, you develop an ear for like, you hear people and you know, if they know what they're doing, mm. but just like the way they speak. Um, and there was a lot of that. It's pretty much just like enunciation. Mm-hmm. And the cadence of his speech. Mm-hmm. Like projection. And the way he was just enjoying the sounds as they were leaving his mouth. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of that from like the Supreme Chancellor was all about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Hugo Weaving as well. And Finch. Uh, although he didn't have as many scenes to like exemplify that. I enjoyed that. You know, there's a lot of good... Not not even the words, just the sounds of them speaking. It's good that. Mm-hmm. So if if you're out there and you don't know if you want to see this movie, if you like just the sounds of people speaking, then this movie's for you. <laughs> so the reason I watch it without subtitles is I like to think like how the actors are portraying themselves. And if mm. you can't understand them, they did something wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. I found that in certain film roles because like the cameras in your face, they feel like they can be quieter or more mumbly and really like get into the nitty gritty of their accent that it becomes unintelligible. And I'm like, well, that's not really the point of, of <laughs> acting. You're supposed to be getting this information across to me. Yeah. I don't know. I always watch my, sh- I always watch my movies and films and TV shows with uh, <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> I don't know. That's I, fair. Just, See, I, like I find subtitles distracting. Like- because it me, draws my eye away from the have, action. I only do it necessary, like a foreign language film. Yeah. When when like, I was young, or when I was younger, um, I would just we'd have it like on quiet or something, and so I would just mm. be used to having it on mute or what, um, watching TV later, and I would just have the subtitles on. So I've been watching subtitles since I was a kid. So now, if I don't watch subtitles, kind of like, where's the subtitle button? <laughs> Where are they? If we do a group viewing, oh yeah, this might be an issue. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we can get an audio description uh, for Robin. Thunderdome. <laughs> the winner. The winner gets to decide. Oh, Thunderdome. Okay. Some kind of Fight Club. Hmm? Uh, sitting yeah. down. Some one v one v one v one. One v one v one. Battle Michael Zorro. I call Agent Smith. <gasps> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I should pick someone powerful. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> yeah. That's actually what we could do. Like we all picked like the the most powerful movie character we can think of, and whoever's is like objectively the most powerful wins, and then that's yeah. who gets to decide subtitles or no. Burned at Peter's from Into the Woods. <laughs> uh, Worst case scenario, I'll just have to only be happy when we're watching foreign language or anime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That sounds like your life, anyways, Robbie. Uh, yeah, that's so my. <laughs> So as we're wrapping up, since we don't really believe in movie ratings, it's tough to put a number to an experience. Uh, let's just say, uh, would you recommend this? And if so, under what circumstances? Uh, so for me personally, yeah, sure, it's a recommend. If you like movies, if you like the sounds of people speaking, and you know, if, uh, if you have an eye for you know, themes and symbolism like Robbie does, uh, then you'll love this movie. It is a, a bit touchy on the topicalness. I had no idea that it was going to be that way, but so, you know, 
if that's not if you're looking for mindless entertainment this ain't quite it i would also recommend it it's uh, a great film it's got great dialogue great speeches uh good action lots of practical effects like i was talking about um yeah it's not it's not a turn your brain off kind of movie it has a message and it's going to tell you that message uh but i definitely recommend it So for me, um, I definitely recommend. Uh, I feel that if you like things that, like they've already said, if you like things that make you think, um, lots of symbolism, lots of stuff to ponder over once the film is done, this is definitely a watch. This is something that you'll want to watch with your full attention. You don't want to have something like going on in the background. You don't want to be on your phone just because there's a lot of stuff that going on and it's not just a lot of action scenes, although those are really good, but also the writing um, it is very well written. The dialogue is uh, very natural, but blends the plot into it. Uh, the soliloquies are funny, but also very poignant to what they're, the topic that they're going into. So it's definitely a thinking person's show, uh, TV show. <laughs> Movie. Show. Show. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend this with a definite trigger warning. I know a lot of people would be like uh, un uneasy with like seeing this put back in their face with the today's society. Um, but definitely a really good movie, amazing writing. Uh, drags on a little bit at some points, but fairly enjoyable overall. But if it was like last year, I'd be like, yeah, I want to take this. But now. Hey. Some some people want to hide from what's going on. Yeah, it's not a happy movie for uh, sad times. <laughs> Might be definitely. Yeah. Like so, uh, our next pick is going to be from Robbie. Robbie's real excited because he actually has one prepared. What are we watching, Robbie? We're going to be watching the first Martin Scorsese film we haven't or watched yet, which is Casino, which is one of my favorites. Um, one of my favorite films. Uh, a ever. long one, fellas. Prepare. Okay. It is. It is long. Um, I was actually kind of trepidatious about using this one till we watched V for Vendetta, two and a half hours, and I was like, ah, <laughs> two hours and twelve minutes. Yes. So uh, I was like, ha. Huh. So that's all the legitimate uh, uh, case I need that we can finally watch Casino because Casino is one of my favorite non-horror films. God, is it like one four or two forty-five? <laughs> Hmm? It's it's pretty long, yeah. It, it's definitely a long film, but it's a great. Film. Uh, let's really do a quick wrap up, and then we can discuss it. So that's it for the film fellas this week. Remember to follow us on all the social medias and support our Patreon, and we'll when see you all next week. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.